who have been called according to his purpose, even in suffering and pain. If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul asks in verse asks in verse 31. He who is in us, Jesus Christ, is greater than anything that is bothering us from the outside. And his plan for us includes his care, his provision, and an eternal perspective. He gave his son to us and will give to us everything else with him, everything that is necessary for a God-pleasing and victorious life, a life that ends in eternal glory. And sometimes we can see this great, this sovereign plan of God in our lives. We can recognize it and see it and we praise God. But oftentimes we don't see it. And maybe that's how you feel right now. Maybe there is some like sickness or disease or something happened to you where you're like, what? This is the plan of God? And sometimes we don't, or oftentimes we don't understand and we stand before God just questioning and doubting why. What is your plan? How can this be good? How can you make this good? And in Romans 11, um, it says in verses 33 to 36, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor, who has ever given to God, that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And we'll never be able to fully understand God's way, neither in our personal life, nor his all-encompassing all plan for this world, um, something that we're also going to talk about today. And why? Because it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. Then as far as the sky is above the earth, just like that are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts bigger than your thoughts ineffable are his decisions therefore it is far from us to grasp and understand everything we can and should not reduce God to the capacities of our own intellect God is so much greater than that. True peace, true peace we can only find in the unconditional trust that God is good and just and that everything has a good end. And I really like what Thomas Vaquin is saying about this because he's saying that is the most we know about God, to know that we don't know God. And that is something I realize more and more 
when I look at the Bible, when I study the Bible, that God is so much greater and that I cannot comprehend him fully. And nobody can, that nobody can. And in chapters 9 to 11, Paul is talking about the people of Israel. What about the promises, the predictions that God gave his chosen people? What does it mean that Israel didn't recognize its Messiah? What plan does God have with Israel? And so we're just looking at the complete chapter 9. That's a big chapter, but sometimes you really have to look at the entire chapter to really fully grasp it. And uh, so we're going to read the verses, but we're going to use another translation, not the, like in the German version, not the Schlachter, but the Neue Genfer Übersetzung. So we're going to have a different translation of the Bible today because it's um, just written a bit easier. It's a bit easier to comprehend there. So we're going to read the first five verses. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Just before that, in uh, chapter 8, Paul was talking about the glory of the Christians about the love of God that nothing can separate us from and now now he's looking to his people the Jews the Israelites and he's overwhelmed by sadness because it seems as if they were separate from the love of God the unfaithful Israel that rejected its Messiah and he says I say the truth in Christ I do not lie like my conscience testifies me. Paul basically uses every conceivable means to really express his great sadness about Israel. Because it's something that really bothers him and that really weighs his heart down. His pain over his brothers is so great that he explained that he would be willing to separate himself from Jesus if that was what it if that was what it would take to bring about the salvation of his people that is something that's really moving me paul's love for the lost ones his heart for the lost israel his heart reflects jesus 
Just like Jesus sacrificed himself and gave his life for you and me, fathers, so that they might be saved. Paul was ready to sacrifice himself for his people so that they might be saved as well. Isn't that just, like, incredible? And think about it. The Jews were his most desperate enemies because they abused him, rejected him, incarcerated him, stoned him. And still, he loved them so passionately. The pain that Paul is feeling for his lost siblings is even greater if he thinks about the fact that God blessed them with all those privileges that they should possess as his chosen people. Because Israel not only gave us the great fathers of the Old Testament like Abraham, but Jesus himself is descended from the people of Israel. And this entire spiritual heritage makes the unfaithfulness of Israel even more sad and just adds another day of tragic. And in verses 6 to 9 it says, It is not as though God's words had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abram's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated, at the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. Now you, you understand what I mean with complicated text. So, back then, if you taken a look at the people of Israel as a whole, you might come to the conclusion, you could have come to the conclusion that God is unfaithful and that all the promises that he gave his people were for naught. But his promises were not for naught. He is faithful, but not all that are descendants of Israel are Israel, is what the text says. One meaning of the name Israel is governed by God. And God, Paul wants to say that only those are true Israelites that are governed by God. And not everyone who is a descendant of Israel is an Israelite. Just as much as not everyone who calls himself a Christian is truly a follower of Christ. Just like that, not everyone who's an um, Israelite is truly an Israelite, but only those who are governed by God. Think about it. With God, it's always about the relationship, not just the title, sacraments, or heritage. It's about the question, is my life governed by God? That's the center point. Am I saved? Is God governing in my life? And Paul again talks about the heritage of Abraham because many Jews thought that only because they were descendants of Abraham they were automatically saved. And Paul says that that is not true because 
Abraham had, like we knew, two sons. And only from Isaac's line, Israel descended, even though Ismael was also a son of Abraham. But Ismael, as we can read, was a son of the flesh born through the maid Hagar. And that wasn't really according to God's plan, what Abraham did there with Hagar. Because Abraham was impatient. And so he just uh, made a child with his mate, and that was not according to God's plan. But Isaac, on the other hand, was a son, the promised son, the son that God gave him through his wife Sarah. That is why God chose Isaac to be the father of his people. And Ismail, who knows it? From, Is uh, from Ismail descended the Arabs. And we read verses 10 to 13. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So the decision that God made in regards to Ismail and Isaac well, seems kind of logical to us, right? But it is a bit harder to understand, or maybe not even understandable at all, why God chose Jacob instead of Esau. God chose Jacob before the kids were even born. And he didn't choose Jacob because of his character or his good deeds that he already knew beforehand because he's the eternal God. No, that wasn't the reason, but the reason for his decision was found in him who calls. It was just God's decision. That means in this case, God decides beforehand who he chooses and who he casts aside without the influence of Ezo and Jacob. They had no influence on this decision whatsoever. And about this kind of prediction, or we hear about this kind of prediction or predestination uh, in other parts of the Bible, and who was, um, those of you who really carefully followed the text last week, um, they could see that even then we were talking about predestination as well. I wasn't really talking about it last week because it's kind of like a bigger topic that we're going to talk about today. And um, so in chapter 8, verses 29, it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And uh, in other parts in the Bible, for example, in John, Jesus says to his disciples, Not you have chosen me, but I chose you. 
I chose you so and called you so that you may go and bring forth fruit and stay in the fruit so that the Father may give you whatever you ask him for in my name. Does God choose beforehand who he wants to save and who he wants to reject? Or is it our own responsibility and our own decision to accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord? And the clear answer for that is yes. Because the Bible teaches both. It says being chosen by God and the own responsibility. That's both things that the Bible teaches. And that's kind of difficult to reconcile. And in Revelations 22 verse 17 it says, Come and let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. That is an invitation of God to come to him. And in Timothy 2 verse 4 it says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to acknowledge of the truth. Everyone. And even in the Old Testament it says in Joshua 24 verse 15 Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. That is our own responsibility to choose. And Warren Wiersbo, um, a Bible commentator, he says the following, No one can deny that many riddles are connected to the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of humankind. No part God demands of us to choose between both of these truths, because they're both from God and belong to his plan. They are not in competition, but they work together. And the fact that we can't fully understand how they work together doesn't mean that they don't. And Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, says, I believe that the scripture teaches both the sovereignty of God as well as the responsibility of humankind. If you follow one of these positions to a T and uh, reject the other position, you're faced with a real problem because the scripture teaches both. And you can pose the question, how does one go about balancing, balancing both of these positions out? I can't do it and I don't have to and God is not expecting it from me. God is only expecting me to believe. Remember what I said at the beginning. And that's why I said at the beginning. His thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. We will never be able to fully understand God and his greatness. And as if Paul kind of predicted the thoughts of his listeners, he poses a question that was probably whirling around in many heads back then and even now. So in verses 14 to 16 we read, What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Seems like it if he chooses one and rejects the other, but no, not at all, it says in the scripture. For he says to Moses, 
I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. God is just. Exclamation point. That is the unshakable truth. That is not in doubt. Never. Paul says. Mercy and forgiveness means. And we know that. It means. That we don't get what we deserve. Right? That is mercy. We are saved through mercy. Were God to only judge on the basis of justice and righteousness, none of us would be saved. Because no one is righteous, none of us is righteous. And if God were to solely act on the basis of justice, none of us would be saved. But he's acting on the basis of mercy as well. The mercy of God is not given to us because of our deeds and our wishes but solely out of his wish to be merciful God is never unjust to anyone but he reserves the right to be more than just with some people if he wants to and that is something we don't understand but that is the true None of us have deserved his mercy and his love. So who are we that we think we can criticize God's actions or find them unjust? It is mercy. And we are only human. We are, who are we that we can say God that he's acting unjust? And in verse 17 to 18 it says, For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So Paul is basically talking uh, about another example of God's sovereign actions. Because we all, we all know the story um, about the uh, imprisonment of Israel, how Israel was imprisoned in Pharaoh under the rule of the Pharaoh and how God freed his people through the plagues. And Paul says that God gave this power to the Pharaoh because he wanted to proclaim in him his own power. He let it happen to glorify his own name and made it known in the entire world, around the entire world. And if you think about this, if I think about it, it's basi it basically shows that even back then, God had the fate of the world in his hand. He had everything in his hand even though it might not have looked like it. But it tells us that we can be sure and we can have this 
surety that it hasn't stopped today, that God is still the same, he was, is and always will be the same, and he still has the world in his hand. And we might ask why God is letting one or the other thing happen in our world, why there's so much evil and so much bad things happening. Just like the Israels back then were asking themselves, why is God so harsh with us? Why does he let the Pharaoh rule like that over us and suppress us like that? And just like that, we're asking, if you are God, why is there so much evil happening? We can know, we can be sure of it. God is still following his inevitable, his sovereign plan. And he can guide the hearts of kings like river, riverbeds. And everything is in his hand. And those that, like the Pharaoh, close off their hearts and harden their hearts against God. And those who are playing gods themselves, they will one day bow down before God. God makes use, God even makes use of the evil one to glorify himself, even though it might not look like it, even today, in your life, God is in control. And verses 19 to 24, it says, One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what it is formed say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? So if we see or read the story about Jacob and Esau and how God clearly guides their lives and how he fully has the Pharaoh in his hand and apparently no one is able to resist his will, one might ask, what responsibility do I have left before God if he predestines everything? I can do whatever I want. God predestined everything. He decided everything already. What is Paul saying to you that? Who do you think you are? You are a human. And you want to start arguing with God? Who are you? God is the potter and we are the clay. It is in his hand what he makes out of our lives. But however, that does not free us from our responsibility. Because the Bible clearly teaches that. That we have our own responsibility for our lives and how we live 
just to quote a verse we will reap what we sow we have a responsibility for our lives and even though Paul is not mentioning it here we know from the story with the Pharaoh that to him we're giving many great opportunities to sort of focus his heart back on God but he consciously decided again and again to go against God to rebel and to close off his heart till in the end God closed his own heart and when God is deciding to glorify himself to let in by letting people go their own ways and to receive his just anger who can resist him David Guzik says to this these are all vessels of anger made for destruction Paul doesn't say that God prepared them to be destroyed but these vessels do that by themselves and I had to think about Romans 2 verse 5 where it says but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart you are storing a breath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed so it is our responsibility it is always both our responsibility and God's sovereignty one does not exclude the other even though we might not be able to fully grasp that with our limited intellect through the sacrifice of his son for the sins of this world we can see that God has no joy in pouring out his wrath over humanity he did everything to be not made to do that it is moreover his wish to give to us his mercy and his glory give it to us to the world be it the Jews or the Gentiles and let's read the last couple of verses verse 25 to 29 as he says in Hosea I will call them my people who are not my people and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one and in the very place where it was said to them you are not my people there they will be called children of the living God and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea only the remnant will be saved for the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality it is just as Isaiah said previously unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants we would have become like Sodom we would have been like Gomorrah so I can't really talk about everything in detail but just basically what these verses are saying is that the promises that God made to Israel were not for naught they're still valid for those in whose life for those in whose lives God can still govern but those are or those become less and less in number and again and again God reached out his hand in love towards his people that we can read in 
Isaiah 65 verses 1 to 2. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me, to a nation that did not call on my name. I said, Here I am, here I am. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. Even though God showed his love to his people again and again and forgave them again and again and gave them a new start again and again, they rejected him. But God did not reject his people. He is following his sovereign plan. And in chapter 11, we will read, I will just talk quickly about it even though we will talk about this in more detail next week again i ask did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery not at all rather because of their transgression salvation has come to the gentiles to make israel envious so god used the unfaithfulness of his people to reach out to the gentiles and at the end of times, God will again reach out to Israel that we can read in his word. And then it says, and then they will recognize Jesus as their Messiah. God's sovereignty might shake us here and there. and might shock us, but we've seen that God is never unjust. Even though it might look like that for us, even though it might seem like that, but who are we? We cannot understand God, but we must and we can believe that God is just in the end. And I really was fighting with this chapter, and it was really bothering me, or it was complex. And I was just like basically tearing my hair out. In frustration but now I have peace with God's serenity even peace I have in it because I can know that the almighty and loving God follows a sovereign plan that I might not always understand but he has a plan that he follows in my life my life with my family in my church in Münster in Germany in this world God is sovereign he is ineffable we might not always understand him and we never will be able to fully understand him in this life, in this world. But he is sovereign, he is ineffable and he will reach his goal in the end. Amen. Father, we recognize you that we not always understand you. And especially in this chapter 9, we, nine, we don't understand you. We don't really understand how you can choose one and reject the other. We don't understand the whole predestination thing and how we can balance this out with free will and our own responsibilities and father i want to ask you that you help us accept that you are bigger that your thoughts are higher than we are and that because who are we and i ask you father that you show yourself to us that we can recognize and see you and that you help us to accept things that we don't understand father we need you we need your mercy 
and I thank you that you give it to us every day and thank you father that we can know that you did everything to save us to save every single person and I want to ask you for those that are in difficult situations right now that don't see your plan and that might be afraid about what's happening in the world father I ask you that they can rest in this peace that you have a sovereign plan for their lives for everything and only because you are sovereign you can make everything work for the best in our lives in Jesus name we pray amen <laughs>